This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Welcome to the Elk Shape Podcast with me, Dan the Fitness Man Staten. This podcast is dedicated to blue-collar, hard-working public land elk hunters. We preach hard work, delayed gratification, discipline, and staying accountable to yourself. We value faith, family, fitness, fiscal discipline, and of course, public land elk hunting. So come along as we try to educate, motivate, and inspire you to become the best possible version of yourself. Our podcast is brought to you by Wilderness Athlete, performance you deserve. Fuel your body with the best. Use our discount code ELKSHAPE30 and save 30% off your first purchase. We are also brought to you by NUMA Outdoors. Geared for the outdoors, made with bow hunters in mind, built to over-deliver, and most importantly, designed to outperform. Check out numaoutdoors.com and be sure to use the discount code ELKSHAPE20 to save 20% off your purchase. Matthews Archery. Elevating the archery experience. Take a test drive with the Matthews V3 31 or 27 at a local dealer near you. Vortex Optics. I've been partnered with Vortex since 2010. This company is awesome. They're American owned, veteran owned. They're based in Wisconsin. Their entire team of designers and engineers produce and distribute a complete line of premium sport optics, accessories, and apparel. Most of the apparel that I wear while training, scouting, and hanging out around the house is vortex wear go ahead and check it out and if you want to save 20 percent, enter the discount code elkshape at checkout and you'll save 20 percent. new from vortex in 2021 is their tripods the one i've been using in the backcountry is their summit carbon 2 and their radiant carbon and it also has a ball leveling head and it's perfect for rock solid shooting there is a tripod to fit everyone's needs from Vortex now, and it's still covered with their lifetime no-fault transferable VIP warranty. Check it out at VortexOptics.com. Hello there. Oak Shea Podcast, Dan the Fitness Man. What up today? Sitting down with Austin Thomas, a creative, a creator, a photographer, a videographer, freelance, works with some big companies. He works with Matthews. This dude is very, very talented, and we're going to break down his technical attributes and kind of dig on his style. We're going to talk videography, photography, and uh, you're going to dig it. So appreciate you guys. Let's get right into it. Austin Thomas. Oh, man. I don't know what I was thinking. I uh, just got back from Pennsylvania doing a camp there and uh, started packing for the next camp, and I was like, oh, yeah, I have a podcast to do, and... Uh, it's good though, man, because then I should have five or six in the hopper, and that'll give me some breathing room. So, yeah, I like podcasts. So honestly, like you like set aside time to get to know somebody, and we don't do that enough in our busy lives, you know. Absolutely, especially nowadays with you know social media. It's like 
to me, you know, it's like, it's the vice versa of what it used to be back in the day of like, most of the time you were trying to put a face to the name. Now you're trying to put a voice to the name because you know so many people, but you never talk to them. So um, no doubt, man, I'm excited to, excited to be on. Appreciate you having me. Oh, no, I appreciate you coming on, man. I've been a huge fan of your work. I've been following you probably over a year now, um, just on Instagram and just kind of, you know, now it's time for me to get to unpack Austin Thomas and figure out, all right, man, what is this guy doing? And uh, what has he got going on? And people need to know about him. So give us the, you know, I'm sure, have you been on a podcast before? I'm sure you've been on. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I've been on a few. Okay. So standard question for the podcast is, you know, give us the 30,000 foot view of you, Austin. Um, But I'm not standard. So like, Austin, I want to know how long have you been bow hunting? Let's start there. Man, what a, what a way to start because the, probably the most interesting thing, I guess, about my uh, best way to put it, the, the most interesting thing about how I got started in the hunting industry itself is that I didn't even start hunting until I was, man, probably a junior or senior in high school. So 16, 17. Um, and pretty much as soon as I started hunting was as, as soon as I picked up a camera. So the, the crossover there was so quick for me, um, obviously fell in, you know, fell in love with hunting right away, but at the same time, or very soon after fell in love with the idea of creating around hunting. Um, and then like, it happened so fast that like my, the best question or like when the topic comes up about like, how'd you get started or whatnot. And it's, it's such a hard topic to answer because I had such previous, like my history with hunting was so sparse compared to most that it just like, it all kind of boils together in like one pot that like, I just kind of knew hunting as like, I always had a camera there. I always had, you know, a buddy with me or a group of buddies. And so obviously that's how all of this kind of correlated was it, it all kind of blossomed all at once. So um, kind of a unique, you know, unique entrance into this space, because I know a lot of people are, you know, really young and got brought up by a hunting family or a hunting heritage. And you know, that, that definitely was far from the case for me. No, that's good, man. So you probably have some mentors. We'll get into that, but what state are you like, where's headquarters for you? I'm guessing Midwest, obviously. Yeah. HQ is Missouri. I live in Northern Missouri. Um, I'm about, oh, 45 minutes from like Kansas city area. So, um, kind of a really centralized, you know, HQ for me, I can kind of be wherever I need to be, honestly, within driving distance to a lot of places that, um, you know, I guess I don't always have to fly. It's kind of nice if I need to, especially being so focused on whitetail hunting specifically that kind of be centralized. And if I need to be, you know, in the surrounding eight States, it can, you know, I can be there within a handful of hours at the most. So, um, yeah, man, born and raised here. Um, obviously, you know, doing what I do, I, I travel a lot and, gone a lot but home's home i think any midwestern person who's you know was born and raised in the midwest is you know kind of in the same boat that like home's home and you know i've always i kind of always had a you know some people pushing me being like hey you should you should get out of here and move out west um but man home's home so that's about it's about all the definition i need on it so all right so you do work as I imagine for yourself as a full-time, I would say almost like content creator, but really like videographer, photographer, editor, like what's your specialty? Yeah. So I would, it's another unique question because my, my focus is creative, right? So I, I work in the content creation industry as, as some would call it. I work specifically in the hunting industry. Um, my, my business, um, I'm a self-employed, I'm self-employed. I do some contracting work where, you know, I'll hire some graphic guys and some guys that go along shoots with me. But for the most part, I'm a, I'm a one-man show. Um, I've got, let's see, trying to count here. I've got seven clients that, that I work with, you know, pretty much full-time, um, pretty much all photography and videography based and also run multiple social media platforms. So, kind of, kind of all in that social digital world. And that's where I, you know, obviously my focus is photography and videography. And, um, 
but man, it's, it's, it's more than that most of the time, which is kind of, you know, helped me in the creative process when I am, when I am out on hunts or um, working on branding projects or whatever it is, but yeah, I, I do a lot, but primary focus is, is, you know, photo content and video content. Uh, yeah, you've taken some photos that, that I really dig and I'll go through those with you on this podcast and maybe get like behind the lens a little bit, figure out the settings that you had, et cetera. But, um, who is your favorite, like, who's your favorite, just chemistry when they call you up and say, we got to shoot and you know, you're shooting them like they're your talent. Who's your favorite uh, to work with so far or one of your favorites? So you don't pigeonhole yourself. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I'll have to probably break this down by brands because most of pretty much, pretty much all, probably 95% of my work is very brand specific, but obviously, I mean, anybody who knows me or anybody who follows me knows Matthews will be my number one answer probably for, you know, hopefully the rest of my career. Um, Matthews was there from day one, really for me. Um, they, you know, obviously I have a great relationship with, with their entire internal team. Um, and always really have always been close with them. And, you know, they've been more like, you know, some of my best friends up there, but I think that's important to, you know, being, first of all, being creative and kind of surrounding yourself with like-minded individuals that, you know, just like any other creative person out there, you go through your slumps, you go, you know, through times where you might be struggling or, you know, your, your mental capacities kind of hit its, hit its peak. But um, yeah, I mean, Matthews is, the guys up there that I get to go on hunts with. And I, I've, I feel like I, I know the entire, you know, the entire facility there is as friends. Cause I've, I've been on so many different hunts from sales, the sales team to the marketing team to um, some of the manufacturing guys and, you know, across the board, definitely spend the most time with those guys. And obviously, um, you know, if, if we're, you know, saying that as far as favorite people to go on a hunt with, it's, it's without a doubt them. So just a, an all around, like just a great company, man. I love hearing that obviously being a Matthews guy and, and knowing that whole squad, I get that. Um, hold on a second. I let my dog out of my office. Stand by. Oh man. So Matthews guys like, yeah. Who, uh, so I know Derek and, uh, Caleb pretty well. Uh, those guys have obviously who I work with and you know, they're going to listen to this podcast. So they're going to hear it from me first. I can't wait for them to assign you me on one of my hunts in 2021. Cause that's what I'm campaigning for. Well, you hear that Derek and Caleb, we're going to have to make that happen then as long as, as long as you can fill me in on some, some workouts. So you're not running me into the dirt while we're, while we're chasing bugles. As long as, as long as you can promise me that, then I'm all in. Oh, you'll be fine. You'll, you'll be fine, man. Yeah. I, I have a couple of hunts in mind and, um, I got to keep in mind that you're probably going to be pretty booked up in November doing whitetail stuff. I would assume have, have you already booked that whole month out? Yeah, it's, um, man, fall's weird. It's like, it'll either book up really soon or it'll all be last minute stuff. As of right now, it's, um, I've got like uh, a couple weeks in November that are still kind of open. Um, but it's, I don't know, fall's just weird. Whitetail's weird. It's like, everybody plays the weather. So, you know, most of the time it's like, Hey, I want you for five days, but let's watch the weather. And it could be, you know, the night before. And it's like, Hey, we got a, you know, we got a big cold front coming in. Let's go spend five days or whatever. But, um, yeah, October, end of October into November gets, gets pretty hairy for me, just really leaving anywhere in the Midwest. So. Okay. I know you probably have used reds or have reds. I know you've probably dabbled with Sony, but I guess, at the time of this recording, what body are you shooting on? Oh, the, the, the ultimate question. I I'm all Canon. Um, I have a red Raven right now still. Um, and it's kind of my, my bigger production cinema, cinema body that really doesn't get used unless it's a bigger production, um, or a bigger project might be a campaign, but yeah, Canon across the board, Canon glass, Canon bodies, um, really specifically the new Canon R series, the R5 and R6 is, are my kind of my dynamic duo right now. And, um, I, it's so interesting too, cause I was just having a conversation with a buddy. He was wanting to kind of jump ship and, you know, the R5 was kind of, was especially in the creative world. And a lot of guys that I know were, you know, somewhat, 
they, they, did, they were too afraid to make the jump to this, to this body. And there was a lot of overheating issues. There was a lot of, you know, systematic issues that people were concerned with, especially being on hunts where, you know, you don't really have a ton of time and you can't, things just can't go wrong most of the time. So it was, uh, you know, for me, I remember get, I got it before my first, I got it the day before I left on my first hunt this year, which is a mule hunt, mule deer hunt in uh, Utah. And, uh, yeah, man, it's, I would probably put it up there. The, my favorite body that I've ever owned from Canon. It's, uh, it's just a shooter and it's, it's a workhorse. It's a beast. I am not, I'm not at all nice to my gear. You know, it's, I treat it as a tool very, very hardly. So, um, yeah, I'm canning across the board and I, I'm, I think I would fight, fight quite a few people that are going to try and argue me, you know, another different direction. It's just, it's all personal preference, you know? Oh, it is. It is. That's what you're familiar with, what you can get the job done with. All right. So regardless of the, the species that you're filming or even snapping photos, what is the workhorse of all workhorse lenses that gets used the most regardless of the hunt? Not long lens, short lens. I'm just talking like what is ends up being on the camera the most, historically speaking. For without a doubt, the 2470 28 and the 70 200 are the are the staples that will never leave. Doesn't matter the hunt, doesn't matter the species. Those two lenses are always either in my bag or on my on my bodies. Um, that just as far as range, as far as picture quality. Um, you know, the, having the ability to stop down to two, eight, and it's just, I, I mean, I've had those lenses since I really, since I started in, in photography, which was shoot almost 10 years ago. Now I've, I've had those two lenses since the beginning. And I, it's just, it's definitely one of those things. I know a lot of people and I know some, some fellow photographers that are like, ah, they're just, I don't love them. I don't like them. But for me, for usage, for being out in the field, especially in the hunting scenario, having that range from 24 to 70 to 7,200, you've got it. You've got everything you need right there. Um, obviously, you know, there's, there's many more in the bag, but those two, if, if, especially if you're, you know, trying to wonder what lenses to get, I will tell everyone, you know, for years, those are, those are the two of the best, no doubt. So I would assume but I hate to assume anything. If you're on assignment on a hunt, are you a hired hand for stills? Are you a hired hand for video or both? Cause, cause to me to do both seems like a tall order. Yeah. And it, that's, <clears throat> I would say that's a fairly controversial question and, and, and not in like a bad way. It's just, I think it's hard to do both well, but it's really hard to do both really well. Um, and I, I'm like digging myself in a hole here, but actually a majority of what I do um, is both video and stills. Uh, and, and it's, it's definitely, I don't want to call it a craft and I definitely don't want to call it like a specific talent, but you know, I've, my whole career, pretty much every shoot I've ever been on or for the most part, you know, 90% of them have been a mixture of stills and video. And so I guess I've kind of learned and you see it a lot more nowadays than you did probably like five or 10 years ago. But if you're not a dual threat and where you can shoot great video and great stills, then you're going to struggle anymore getting work because I mean, you, you probably know this as well as I do. Anybody that works any part of the hunting industry, you know, budgets aren't, they're not substantial budgets. So the whole concept, especially for, you know, smaller brands or companies that probably don't have big advertising budgets at all, they're not going to fork up the bill to, to have a photographer and a video guy on, on location for, for a lot of these things. So um, I guess early on in, in my career is really since I worked for that first, my first agency, it, uh, it kind of just always, it's always been that way. Even if I'm just shooting stills, like if I'm on location for just stills, I'll always shoot some, some clips. And it's, you know, I found it to be, you know, kind of a, I guess more or less something, you know, something that helps me stand out over delivering. I think it's a big, it's, it's an important task for anybody in this creative space to over deliver because of, you know, obviously the, the supply of photographers are, <laughs> I mean, you turn the corner and there's another one, you know, this is going to be hypothetical Austin. So you're filming and shooting stills for me and we're elk hunting. And I know that you know 
that light's pretty pretty dope the first hour and the last hour of the day, which is pretty handy when it comes to filming, but even more so for f photography. But you also realize that's pretty good time to get a bull killed. How do you manage your day with someone like me in a, in a September crisp morning? How are you going to manage, you know, switching back and forth from stills to video? Are you running two bodies um, or are you running one, swapping lenses in and out, directing your talent, but also staying the hell out of the way? Like, this is very nuancy, and I'm dying to hear your answer to this question because it's like it's complicated. Super complicated. And that, like, I'm glad you asked because I would say out of majority of my DMs outside of people asking, like, how do you get started in the hunting industry? One of them is like, how do you walk the line of hunting versus getting quality imagery? And uh, there, I don't, there's obviously not a correct answer, right? Like this is all, this is all my opinion and how I use it in the field. But the way I treat, you know, this is, this isn't just elk hunting, it's whitetail hunting, it's turkey hunting. You just, you almost know when it's go time, right? Like obviously whitetails is, is one of those that's a little, iffy because you just never know in white tail country they're here obviously they could happen in a blink of an eye but elk hunting for instance it's always that first 30 minutes of you you know it could be early in the morning it's dark out you got guys with headlamps on you know the sun's just start or the light's just starting to creep you can get some some silhouette shots um you know utilize the the 24 to 70 or the 35 millimeter really early in the morning and i use that time very specifically to capture that like that solitude of like weight right like you you're especially elk hunting it's like you hurry up you hurry up you hurry up you hurry up and there's always that that moment of like the silence before the storm right like the moment you hear that first bugle or you hear you know bugling over the next ridge you know it's go time so i guess to break it down in layman's terms a little bit i treat that like non-hunting time before it's legal shooting light i treat it as Hey, I'm, I'm there to tell this like pre-story. Like I want people to be, you know, in, in, engaged in these headlamps on guys' heads and, you know, the lights are turning off and, you know, as it, get, as it gets brighter, they hear that first, that first bugle. As soon as it's go time, that first bugle that we hear, it's, it's a, it's a 70 to 200 on my body. And like, I'm running that until, you know, we chalk it up as like an L and I, I, Yes, to give like a couple examples though is like I've been on shoots too. Like a good example is Matthews last year. We were working on uh, bow launch material, and our goal for this was to create kind of this vlog style POV perspective where you know we weren't really running long lens, we weren't running you know a ton of like wildlife you know millimeter type of lenses. The shots we were getting were all kind of like the perspective of the hunter, and so you look at a scenario like that where, you know, early in the morning, I'm getting some really tight stuff with, with, uh, you know, maybe a longer lens or maybe even a macro. And then the moment it starts to become hunting time, I'm grabbing a 16 to 35 or 24 70. And I'm capturing the, you know, I'm capturing this perspective of pretty much what the hunter sees. So, you know, the over the shoulder, the through the bow, those, those really engaging moments that, it's kind of hard to grab, kind of hard to get with a long lens. And I, I know, you know, obviously there's a, everyone shoots a different way and a different style, but I, I would say more times than not, the 70 to 200 sits on my hip more than it is active. And the only time it comes off is if we're in a moment where we know an elk's coming, he's bugling coming in and I know I can get a tripod or a monopod and be steady and in, in, in a good area where I might be able to see the hunter or, you know, or just the, the elk itself. But it's definitely something that I've found. I have a, like, have a, I have a time in the morning and a time in the evening where it's like, you know, you just know when it's go time, you hunt enough, you, you're around people, you know, especially like you just, you, you kind of have a light bulb in your head that switches off and it's like, okay, this is silly to have a 16 to 35 on, like this could happen in a blink of an eye. And, I think that goes hand in hand with just the experience of it. Yeah, that makes sense. So if you're filming DSLR style, uh, which is honestly like my favorite way to personally be filmed is someone with the DSLR. I just feel like that dual threat type of thing. But um, 
carrying a, a 70 to 200 on your hip plus you know having your 24 to 70 on your lens and imagine you got like a double battery pack maybe some sort of like rail cage system and uh, you got mics and stuff like that are you running take us through I guess like a day in a life break down your backpack like how many batteries are always in there are you running external mics are you doing like some sort of Sennheiser how do you sync them in post like because audio is obviously everything too uh, and there's just so much to the story people 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 are dying to do your job and until they do it right and that's I mean, that's my favorite thing to talk about because I, and it's definitely not a, like, it's not a flex on my end or any photographer's end or video guy. It's just a, it's almost like, Hey, we want like everyone to realize that, you know, it, it's not all, you know, sugar coating stuff. It's like, it's a hard, it can be very hard. I know like this year, I, one of our, one, a sales guy up at uh, Matthews named Trent Traxler. He, uh, I went on a hunt with him and Derek in Montana this year and we're on like day five or six and we're getting our butts kicked and, you know, we're probably putting in eight to 10 miles a day and we're kind of hopping from public to public piece. And I was, I was just beat, you know, I, 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 on average, I would say like my day pack is 30 to 35 with lenses, with extra batteries, with, you know, mics, everything in between food, all of that. And I remember we were sitting there, we were having lunch or something. And, you know, I'm trying to eat as much food as I can to make my pack a little lighter. And he, we're packing up and he sees me kind of struggle to get my pack on. And he's like, man, I, I don't ever want to trade packs with you because your packs four times as heavy as mine. And I, I think, I think a lot of people, obviously that's, you know, somewhat common sense just because gear wise and whatnot, but it's definitely something that's looked past. And, um, you know, for me, I would rather carry 40 pounds in my pack than get in a scenario where I run out of battery or I realize I want this specific shot. He may be on a mountainside and, you know, I don't have my 7,200 in my pack. I left it, you know, at camp or whatever it might be. I would rather carry way more weight than needed than kick myself because you just never know when that shot is going to be perfect. And I think that's kind of the fun in it for me is that, you know, in a way, I think anybody who's mountain hunts or backpacks or anything like they kind of enjoy the, the hurt of what that comes with. And I'm, it's the same way for me is that, you know, I, I, I like the aspect of having a heavy pack and it being kind of grueling. And, you know, the goal is to is for you to show that grueling aspect of, of that perspective of the hunter. And if you're not grueling with them, then, you know, I don't think you're ever going to be able to tell a great story. So it's it, it, for me, I, I guess to kind of loop back to your first question, if I'm, you know, if I'm packing, you know, a day pack for, you know, we're going all day to, to chase elk and it's most of the time I'm going to have two different bodies. I'm going to have a primary and a secondary. My primary is going to be video and photo. And my secondary is going to be strictly photo. Um, and usually while we're out and about, you know, let, starting in the morning, I'm starting with probably like a 35 millimeter one, four that I can get that super low light, um, those silhouette shots on the skylines, the, you know, the early dusk light that kind of, you know, screams early morning. And then obviously as you know, we may hike a mile up and I'm like, all right, I'm going to throw on a 16 to 35 and get some big wides and, you know, show these small hunters in these big areas. And, um, you know, obviously you kind of talked about having a 7,200 on my hip. I, especially elk hunting it, I don't do it very often because it's, it is such a hassle, especially if you're in some gnarly country or if you're in some, um, you know, some down brush, it's, it's definitely not something you want to have floating around swinging and hitting you from, you know, hitting a hip and then swinging around, hitting a tree. It's, um, it's definitely just something you kind of have to play with. And I, I guess I've kind of gotten comfortable um, knowing what, you know, my setup is and, you know, anymore, there's so many photographers, you know, there's obviously guys like Stephen Drake and Adam Foss that are doing these, you know, crazy, crazy hunts where, you know, they're, you know, I've took from them and started using cotton carrier stuff that strap into my packs and I've got a belt loop one and I've got my chest harness one. So most of the time when I'm on like big long hunts, I'm always, I'm, my cameras are always attached somewhere. So they're not, 
flailing around as we're going through trees or brush or whatever. Um, but yeah, man, it's, it's such a, I've learned over the years, it's definitely, it's definitely personal preference. And when you can find a system that works for you, it's, that's when it's going to work best. But I think the most important aspect to that is what works for you. Cause what works for you might not work for the next guy. No doubt. Well, what's your system for, okay. So we got back from a long day of hunting. I imagine you got double cards in your camera and you don't want that. You want that content dropped probably every day on some sort of NAR box. We'll explain what that is for those that don't know. And then, or a hard drive. We're talking, now we're talking a laptop. Uh, we're talking dumping footage while everyone else is getting their pack ready for the next day and making dinner. Uh, you're up dumping footage, charging batteries, and then you're worried about time lapses and all sorts of stuff that uh, the talent doesn't have to worry about. So take us through those systems as the day winds down. Yeah. Um, again, it's like start off by saying it's definitely a preference thing. And I, I've tried a lot of different ways. I've actually, I actually never used an Rbox. I know what it is and I've, I'm familiar with them. I just personally, I, I've kind of always been the guy to, especially with dual, all these cameras that have dual, um, dual SD slots or dual card slots where I just back up everything on the other card. Um, I carry a lot of gigabytes of just cards and capacity of cards. So, you know, for instance, I'll give you a little example here of how about eight years ago when I first got a job in this, you know, in the hunting industry and I was working for a guy that I, you know, I really respected and my first hunt, then keep in mind, I had just, I'm a Midwestern boy, like loved whitetail hunting, loved taking photos, like first hunt working for this guy. And I got to go on a doll sheep hunt to Northwest territories. And I remember packing for that trip and, you know, we're going through our checklist and he's like, he's like, all right, you're going to need this camera, this camera, these two lenses and a laptop. So for 13 days living out of my backpack, I carried around a 15 inch lap Mac laptop and never once took it out of my bag. Oh my gosh. And for thir I mean, it's like, again, I, especially to the guys that do it a lot, I probably sound like a baby, but I mean that this hunt, like mentally, it was like, I was at my capacity with it. And I remember, I remember, Siri. I remember getting back to base camp when the hunt was over, we had killed our doll sheep and I pulled that laptop out of the bag. And if it wasn't the company's laptop, I'd have thrown it in the freaking river at, at this, at this outfitter and just <laughs> left it to be because I had just walked around with what, 10 plus pounds of a laptop for no reason. So I, I guess for me, I've always looked at that scenario and example, and I guess you would think by now I'd have a NAR box, but I don't do, I personally don't do enough backcountry stuff. Usually we'll go spike for a couple days and then we'll, we'll kind of, you know, we'll carry two days of food in and then we'll go back to the truck for, you know, a, a midday kind of re re prep everything, get food for the next couple. I'll dump footage there. Um, and then obviously go back up for a couple days. So it's definitely, it's definitely something I don't have a, like a, this tight, tight, you know, preference on, on dumping footage. But the biggest thing for me is one, I always have enough cards and I'm always backing up at the same time. Um, I know a lot of people might not have that ability with their bodies, but for the last, you know, six years, I've had camera bodies that allow that. And that's kind of how I've, I've just always preferred that method. Cause I know no matter what, I, if a card fails, I've got that footage on another card until I can dump, but yeah, I, I, it doesn't matter where I'm dumping, when I'm dumping. As soon as I dump onto a hard drive, it's getting backed up that very second. Um, had I've had, luckily, only a couple scenarios in, in my career where I've had drives fail. Um, and, you know, anybody who's had that happen knows the bill is not fun to get it, to try and get it recovered. So if there's, I guess, if there's any advice to anybody doing any sort of backcountry stuff, it's just have a, have a system and a, and a plan. And, you know, for me, like I said, I don't do any 10 day, eight day hunts very often. So the ability to just kind of like take in what I need for two or three days and then, you know, obviously have a couple extra cards at hand. And then when I get back to the truck or, you know, wherever, you know, maybe base camp is for us, I can have all my equipment there. Yeah. 
And we're going to interrupt this podcast for a quick little message from Black Rifle Coffee Company. These guys make amazing coffee here in the U.S. and they're veteran-owned and they're proudly American and unapologetic. I appreciate that. If you guys are interested in joining their coffee club or picking up maybe some swag, ready-to-drinks, or check out that new Flying Elk Roast flavor, use the discount code ELKSHAPE and that'll save you 15%. Also, Kufaru International. This is the backpack of choice for elk hunters. I use the Hoodlum or the 44 Mag. You guys need to check out Kufaru International if you are serious about packing out large loads of perfect protein off the mountain. Head over to kufaru.net to learn more. We're also brought to you by Onyx Hunt, the number one hunting GPS app. I've pretty much gone away from using an old school GPS. Obviously I still carry like an inReach, but all my hunting maps are stored and executed with the Onyx. This is the fastest downloading offline maps out there, as well as the most resilient, bulletproof. Not gonna crash on you when you need it most. I run tracking most days while elk hunting, and I found Onyx to be the most reliable hunting GPS app out there. Check it out today. And finally, Baku e-bikes. These are e-bikes made for hunters by hunters. This is a game changer for elk hunting as well as bear hunting, checking your tree stand trail cams, getting in and out quietly. I rock the mule. Use the discount code ELKSHAPE to knock $300 off your purchase. And if you do that, you might as well just go ahead and apply that discount towards a folding cargo trailer so you can put your elk quarters and haul them out back to the truck. So that body allows you to, as you're capturing, it goes onto two cards, or do you just hit a button and it dumps one card's uh, content onto the other card in the body? Goes onto two cards. So as soon as, if I'm taking a clip, it's simultaneously writing on both both cards. How killer is that? Yeah, it's a it's a solid feature, and it's I I I mean I can't say this for sure, but I I bet a lot of people, especially if you're new into it, don't know that that's capable and um, I actually learned it from a, a fellow photographer and was like, man, that would save me so much time and, and really wait if I'm going on any sort of spike camp, you know, two day little trek where I don't have to haul in anything else and just haul in extra cards. And so it's a, yeah, it's handy as, it's handy as heck. So are you, are you a big advocate of wireless mics that just sync right into as the cards writing from the footage, it's getting the audio there too? Yeah, I, I always have a Zoom mic um, on me pretty much everywhere and every hunt I go on. And it's mainly because a lot of my work and a lot of what I do is I love to work on sound design aspects. So, you know, obviously anybody who's running any sort of, you know, high speed, high frame rate stuff, you rarely, unless you're running a really a red and you're, you know, or a higher end body, you're never going to get any sort of audio during those high frame rate clips. So I just, I've always, you know, good example is this last year, um, we had shot, I shot an elk coming in and had a zoom, believe it or not in my pocket. And as this elk's coming in, I just, I click record and it's a high speed shot. It sounds super bougie, but in reality, for me, it's just obtaining that like moment of intimacy between you and that animal. And you know, the high frame rates, obviously. So it's such a sexy look that obviously if you, you kind of have to, in my eyes, you have to walk the line with it. Um, cause I, I don't love these like, you know, productions that are just all high speed stuff. Like I love the natural audio, the real aspect and, and, and normal frame rates, 24, 30 frames per second, that stuff's real to me. So most of the time we're running, I'm either running a road on, on our DSLRs or mirrorless bodies, or like you said, I'm running a wireless that's, you know, hooked up to, to the subject or the hunter. And that way you can get that real, you know, that real time, very personal level audio that, um, you, you really can't get with any shotgun mic. Mm, I know. Okay. So talk to me about post, like what's your processes for, I just got back from an eight day hunt. I got gigs on gigs. How do you organize it? Like, what's your best process for just like organizing your files? And the reason why I'm doing all this detailed stuff is there's just too many direct messages on how do I get into the industry 
And I think people finally figured out we live in a digital world. And so we're talking to a pro, like you get paid to do this for a living. Uh, and then also the, the back end for, for like, I'm assuming Lightroom or something where like, how do you get your photos sorted and organized and dialed and delivered? Cause you're, you, you said it yourself. You like to over deliver. Yep. Yeah. And so it kind of goes back to the question you brought up about, you know, shooting video and still. So it's always, it's somewhat can be confusing because especially if you're on a, again, you know, I'm going to specifically talk about elk hunting because whitetail is kind of a different world. And for, you know, for elk hunting or anything out West where you're spending days at a time in the field, you know, I can go out on a day and, you know, I'll have 120 video clips and, you know, maybe two or 3000 photos in, in a singular day. And for me, obviously everything starts with organization. I, I mean, I've, uh, you know, at home, I have a server that's, that's 64 terabytes. Um, and then Jeez. when I'm on the road, I have pretty much two RAID drives and RAID SSDs. If anybody out there is not running SSDs nowadays, then you need to sell all of your hard drive, your spinning disk drives, and you need to invest in two SSDs because the workflow, the ability to dump and back up, that whole time frame where we're solids, you know, so, or really just hard drives in general versus solid state, you're going to save an hour, two hours sometimes, depending on how much footage you're taking. Um, and I like I, this was all fairly in the last two or three years, SSDs finally started to become, you know, available. You could, you didn't have to, you know, go give blood to make a little money to, to, to be able to afford them. They became affordable to the consumers, professionals. Um, and so that was the biggest upgrade really in my system was changing from just a, a hard drive an external hard drive to a, you know, spinning state drive that the, the, the you know, upload and, and how many gigs you can transfer it's, it's, it's day and night. So once I made that move, obviously everything starts with organization and obviously without having like an expo board to kind of break this down, but the way I break it down is pretty much the hunt itself it goes in a folder. So let's just say it's a Montana elk hunt. And my next, my next folder is a video folder, an image folder. My next folder is end of the video slide or the video folder is days. So day one through day seven. And when I click on the day, it's gonna be broken down by cameras. So camera models, you know, for day one, I've got my R5, R6, and let's say it's my drone. And so all the files go in, you know, each folder, their specific folder, and then images get logged all into one folder. All the raws go into one folder. And obviously, again, when I'm, when I'm traveling, unless, I'm, unless HQ is like, you know, maybe it's a lodge or it's a house or, or somewhere where I can kind of come, I can come back and have like very organized and dialed system. I don't, I don't do anything with file naming. I don't touch um it really any files outside of just getting them dumped on a drive and then backing them up and once i have them backed up pretty much you know we'll get through the hunt seven days of doing that i'll come back home and i have obviously my server and then i have a backup drive and so every time and i have you know for me i'm lucky enough to where i i have quite a few backup drives i'll go like Specifically, if I have a big project or a big launch or a piece that's going to, I know it's going to be, you know, a ton of capacity or kind of space, I'm going to go and buy a specific backup drive because, I mean, you can, anymore, you can go buy 10 terabyte, 12 terabyte drive for less than a couple hundred dollars. And for me, it's just, I've, I've been on the, the losing end of never, of not backing up before. And it's, I mean, you know, anybody who's in the space, anybody who's, just in the creative world, if you lose something like that, I mean, you might as well chalk it up and, and hope that that client wants to work with you again. So, you know, anybody who kind of goes through and they're trying to itemize and, and create a budget and figure out a budget, um, I think people look, they don't look into that too hard. And it's, I, I think out of all the, the, especially the people who are just getting started or maybe new into this, that they, they don't, when they're giving a bid to a client or like, Hey, here's my day rate, yada, 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 you know, make sure you think about those things because first of all, those prices add up. But second off, if you don't have a backup, then you don't even have a copy is the way I look at it. And, you know, it, 
it just takes one spill of a hard drive for you to lose everything. And so um, obviously for me, organization is number one in, in my career and what I do. And it's even at that, it's like, you can, you know, if I had a little screen record, I could send you what my desk looks like. And, you know, I'm staring at, I don't know, 25 little hard drives right here that all, whether they're backup drives, whether they're travel drives or drives people have sent me, it's just, you got to have a system. And if you don't have a system, then, you know, I, good luck to you because it can get brutal pretty quick. No, that's so important, man. I, re I really wanted to dig in on that because I, I knew there had to be some madness going on there. And, uh, you know, it's, it's pretty overwhelming. You know, I don't, I don't do what you do for a living. I dabble and staying organized is probably the biggest challenge, honestly. So that was cool to hear you say that. I want to dig in on a couple images and I know this is a podcast. So for those, you're just going to have to picture or pull this up. I'll definitely put links into what we're talking about. And I want to go over, I'm going to go right to Mike. One of the first photos I ever saw that you took. And it's still one of my favorites. Um, it's on Instagram for those that um, you can check the link in the show notes, but you'll know right away, Austin. Um, I'm not sure who the subject is, but I want to say it's definitely like uh, it's an antelope hunt. It's in Montana. It's a landscape shot. And it's the composition, the framing is absolute perfection. It's a guy with his bow on his back. And I believe he's got an antelope on his back as well. And he's in perfect stride. And he's crossing the center stripe of a paved road. And, it, to, you know, someone might look at that photo and be like, oh, that's cool. But to me, I'm like, there's a lot of layers there. Like the timing of the just getting the shutter speed perfect, getting the exposure right. The framing is genius, and, and it just shows you that you can hunt antelope off the pavement, like on public land, and there's adventure right out your door. Take us through that photo. Uh, I know what you know what I'm. I think you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Yeah, a hundred percent. And I to to just start with that is that is top. And that's definitely in my top ten of favorite images I've ever taken. Yes. All right. So that's, that's Derek Nelson at Matthews. And obviously Derek's a, one of my best friends and um, spend a ton of time with them hunting and, and on trips. And, you know, we obviously are, are, are really fortunate enough to, to do a lot of hunts early in the year because of bow launch. And um, that specific, like that specific hunt was, was unreal. It was one of those, like, it was our first time ever going out West. You know, we were just hopping from piece of public to piece of public and, chasing antelope and having a blast and we were actually on our way to so we were done antelope hunting we were on our way to canada for an uh for a mule deer hunt and we were driving and we had like two pieces of public left that that his tag obviously or his unit he was able to hunt and we just happened to look over and there's you know an antelope he's four or five hundred yards off the road um and so we just kind of pulled over and we watched him for a little bit and it, it definitely was not a scenario where we could just like get off the road and like, and hunt these animals. And I, I think obviously there is a lot of that, but this was one of those things where we had to think about, okay, we, they're in this huge Valley. We've got to get over this crest of this Ridge. We've got to get to this, you know, this little patch of brush and get within, you know, there was no way we were going to get within like 50 or 60. So we just had to get there to get in the ball game. And obviously it all happened. And, um, we had to be in, in, uh, Alberta by like, I don't even, we had to be there at a certain time to check in for this hunt or I don't exactly know what it was. And we were trying to be in a hurry for all this. And so he shoots the antelope, we're all celebrating. And I just remember we're walking down this hill and I'm, I'm a couple hundred yards away from him. And it was one of those shots that you like, I saw the road and I, I have a couple of shots like throughout the trip that are, you know, that are somewhat similar, not, you know, obviously not with an antelope on their back and, you know, it, it, the, the framing and everything else. But I remember like screaming at Derek being like, you don't move until I get down there. Cause I've got this idea. And, um, I, I told him, you know, stay on the side of the road and then let me get, let me get this framed up. And I'm just gonna, I'm going to crank the shutter. And the goal is to get his legs, perfectly you know crossing over the yellow lines and you know sometimes obviously things like that just kind of happen in perfection but 
yeah, that, that photo is framed in Derek's office at Matthews and it's, oh, uh, is it? It's, okay. Yeah, it's definitely one of my favorites, but just, uh, you know, a nasty middle of the day light, but um, yeah, it tells the story of antelope hunting out West perfectly. And that's, I think that's the, that's the power of imagery that, that, you know, you have to look a little bit more in depth and think about what that photo actually means to, to understand, you know, the power of it. Yeah, dude. Uh, great job. So you probably just, like you said, you cranked down that shutter speed and then was it one take like, Hey, walk across the road, I'm ready. And I'm just going to hammer the trigger. Like how did that work? Yeah. So I had a uh, circular polarizer on, um, I actually shot that with a 35, um, one four. So I just stopped up. I think I was shooting F probably F probably F eight. If I were to guess, I'd have to look back in the settings, but yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it just kind of cranking it up as high as I can, but I didn't, I didn't want everything in the background to be, you know, in focus. So I wanted to keep it at an aperture that, you know, obviously the sub made the subject still stand out, but um, obviously being middle of the day and that nasty, no cloud in the sky light, it was important that, you know, the framing and everything else was perfect. And, you know, I knew the, the obviously the filter and everything else would help kind of, kind of keep the highlights uh, rolled off a little bit and not be too harsh. And, um, you know, it's one of those scenarios. I, I think I could pull up that raw and send it to you. And I, I, if I remember right, it was pretty, I had actually shot it underexposed quite a bit and it was not on purpose. And so there was, there was a lot of Lightroom, if I remember right with this photo, but, um, it just, you know, that it kind of shows you the power of software anymore. And I, it's, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of young people, I've talked to a lot of young people that'll send me images and they're like, you know, I took this photo and I'm like, man, throw it in Lightroom. Like it's, it's insane to me when you can learn a platform and you can feel comfortable in that platform and be able to manipulate an image. And, um, again, I had have to dig, I mean, this was in 2018, I think, mm -hmm. but yeah, it's, a uh, it was a photo that definitely was underexposed, but just, you know, all the, all the, everything aligned perfectly. So it's no, definitely one of my favorites. You did good. Okay, I'm gonna do one more, and then I'll have you pick one, and we'll call it a podcast. So, this one, um, I don't know anything about it. I didn't read the caption, but it's October second, two thousand nineteen. We got a girl, is the subject, and oh, it says Alex Temp Templeton. Okay, so she's gr like, it's not a grip and grin. Um, her left hand is blurred out. Her right hand is on the third, like on the bull's thirds, and she's kind of washed out with a little bit of like harsh light from the sun, but it is also soft at the same time. You can tell like she's got a genuine look on her face of just like accomplishment and joy from, I mean, the picture's worth a thousand words, like for sure, but it's framed in a really cool way. And it captures like, it's not like a, a reenactment. It's like, Oh, this was like a real photo. This was really caught in the moment, which is always my favorite. Um, take us through how you set this photo up, how you got it, what you had to do, settings, as much detail as you can. Yeah. So this one, I guess to give just a quick background, like Alex and I are, are really close. I've worked with Alex for, man, I don't know, going on probably five or six years now. We've, we've kind of, you know, she doesn't live too far from me. I get to spend a ton of time with her in the whitetail woods. And obviously we work for a lot of the same brands, but this was her first ever archery hunt. And it was, you know, it was obviously special that I got to be there with her and her dad. And she had arrowed this bull. And I remember we went back to the lodge and, you know, the shot was, we knew it was good. We knew it was lethal, but we wanted to give him time. And so we, we came back and we knew exactly where the bull was. And this was, this shot specifically was the first moment she had walked up on this bull. And I remember telling her, I was like, I don't want you to pose. I don't want you to do anything. I don't, you know, just, I want you to admire this bull, your first bull ever, your first archery bull ever. And just, and just take a moment to, to kind of have that gratitude, right? Like I think anybody who first harvests an animal, there's always that moment of like, you know, awe and shock and, and gratitude of, of obviously, you know, being successful on a hunt. But for her, it was like, this was the first time she had ever harvested an elk and at that like a, a good bull elk and um i just i remember as soon as she released that arrow i like you know as a creative and a photographer it's like you get all these ideas in your head and the best 
I will tell anybody right now, the best shots are the ones that come without you thinking about it. Um, and this was a perfect example of that, but she just, she had dropped her bow um, pretty much on the bowl and lifted as like, she was just lifting his head up right here. And obviously the sun's kind of just perfectly, you know, a little bit on her arm. It's like, it's still not quite soft enough where you can see her smile. You know, the framing of itself is like, you know, the, the, the power of the women hunting and, you know, you see her, her ring on her finger and it all, it all just like, it's a perfect frame and, to me. And I think like yeah. you said, it's, it's a very powerful. And if you can, if you can hear the story or see the story behind that, like you understand that, like the significance of something like that. And, um, you know, I know she's going to listen to this and, you know, it was definitely, that's up there. One of my favorite hunts I've ever been on just because, you know, you get to experience something like that for the first time with a close friend. It's, uh, you know, it's pretty special. So yeah, there's, man, I have so, there's so many awesome images from that hunt too, but that one's, that one's definitely one of my favorites. Well, I'm glad that, that I picked that one out. I mean, I just kind of picked two of my favorites after I went and looked at your Instagram yesterday and I was like, man, I'm going to try something new for a podcast. Cause I think people can pull this up on their phone and look while we're talking about it. And I think everyone's interested in capturing their hunts and solidifying their memories and doing it well. And so it's fun to talk to someone who's an actual pro and I don't know Alex, but I can tell you right now, you get to know her by just seeing this, like she's the real deal, man. Like she's like genuinely just that feeling of accomplishment and we all can appreciate that as hunters. Um, why don't you pick one out out of your Instagram so and just break it down for us and we'll call it a podcast. It could be anything, but maybe something different than we've picked out so far. Yeah, I'm gonna. I'm actually trying to find it here quick, but it's a it's a whitetail image, and it's actually a an old image. It's one of the um, for you know for any Matthews fans out there. This was the original or Halon. Yeah, it's the Halon 32 launch, and it's a it's a buddy of mine early in the morning um, sitting in a whitetail stand, and I remember this was the first year I was a part of the bow launch for Matthews. And of course, you know, wanting to, to kind of, again, going back to over delivering and wanting to go out and really create some, some super raw and, and intriguing looks that I had never seen before. Um, this was actually, it was shot on October 21st, 2019 is when the post is, but it's a silhouette shot. You know, you can tell the sun or it's just starting to get light outside. You see the bow hanger and the bow, silhouetted against the skyline with the hunter face and and body silhouetted as well and everything about this photo and i i think i posted it on my feed two or three times because it's um it's easily one of the top photos that i've ever taken and for me you know obviously a quick little backstory is like this is my best friend he was you know he's always been one of the guys that i would call to go out and create content or shoot photos or be a, a subject or model in some projects of mine. And I had told him, I was like, man, Matthews, you know, wants us to be a part of, of launch this year. Like, let's go out and shoot some stuff. And um, this was actually, it was rifle season in Missouri. And we hopped in a tree. He had orange on all, all the, you know, we didn't have a rifle with us. We were bow hunting. And I hung a tree stand that morning about, I don't know, probably 30 yards away from him. And I had a, believe it or not, I had a 600 millimeter L series, which, you know, anybody who's, who's held one knows it weighs like 15 pounds. It was like gin one. And, um, I was like, I've got this idea for a shot. I've got to be a pretty far away from you, but you know, I, I, I got the look and I know what I'm looking for. And I remember I took one frame of this and with that big lens and I was like, that's it. I just got it. And I just always go back to that, this photo specifically, because it, First of all, it helps remind me of like when I, you know, when it, where it all began kind of, but at the same time, it's like that frame itself is extremely powerful. You look at it, you know, that guy's white seal hunting, you know, it's like, you feel the sun's just starting to come up. You can start to see through the timber, you know, you hear the birds chirping. It's like, you just feel so much from that image. And um, again, I just always go back to it because I, I, I love that look of, of silhouettes and, and the power of, you know, kind of seeing the hunter and it's, you know, kind of his, his space, his bubble. So it's a, uh, yeah, man, it's a powerful photo. That's awesome. Uh, so for those listening, Austin, he's on obviously Instagram. Um, it's at 
austin.thomas underscore. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. So give him a follow. He's got a pretty good following. And um, your website, you have a website. I checked it out yesterday. Let me pull it up. Yep. Uh, you do social media management as well. That's pretty cool. Uh, how many different uh, brands do you do the social media management for? Full-time, I do two different um, two different companies, social medias. And that's that's across the board of, you know, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. Um, and it's <laughs> it's a full-time job in its own. Anybody who does social media knows that. So it's it's a nice, I say it's a nice break from, you know, being a creative to kind of getting to look at, you know, I obviously spend all day kind of categorizing and, and going through content. And um, yeah, it, it obviously goes hand in hand really well with what I do the, from the creative aspect and storytelling. It's, uh, yeah, I've learned to learn to really, really love it and, and really, you know, it honestly makes me a better photographer and storyteller because I, I dig so much into content and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a unique, unique part of my business and actually a, a really big part of my business. So um yeah man it's cool well dude thanks for taking the time to chat with me and uh i basically selfishly booked this uh to get to know you better um <laughs> well, i appreciate it man no i did I, I i like been a fan of your work and i am a fan of people that capture cool content people that literally i don't know man we live in a content driven world i live on a content treadmill not as big as your treadmill but uh I just got a lot of respect for what you're putting out there, man. So keep up the good work. And I guess the last thing we'll finish with is like, dude, what's coming up for you as far as spring Turkey. I imagine you're pretty booked out. Yeah, man. It's a uh, spring Turkey. It's, it's an interesting time of the year. Usually, you know, you, you spend August through January, at least I do creating, right? Like I'm always on the go, I'm traveling everywhere. And then February to March or middle of April, I'm, um, I'm pretty much stuck in an office creating what I've created, um, from a, from an editing standpoint and, you know, trying to catalog all the imagery and, and video projects and all of the above. And then obviously turkey season is kind of, I kind of, you know, I'm obviously still shooting a lot. I travel quite a bit, but I really treat turkey season as kind of my, uh, it's kind of my let loose. I like to, you know, try and hunt as much as I can and, um, obviously spend it with, with close friends and, and, uh, buddies of mine, I travel from you know as many states as I can just to kind of chase them. So yeah, lots of lots of hunts coming up. Gonna gonna go up to Wisconsin and Iowa and probably Kansas and obviously home state of Missouri and do some hunting, photographing, and um, got some got some different trips booked out for for the spring too, just for for photos and and uh, projects we're working on. And yeah, man, lots coming up. So it's gonna be exciting year busy year but um I'm, I'm looking forward to to traveling this year versus last year i know that mm, yeah it'll be a little easier well yeah. <laughs> guys austin thomas the man the myth the legend give him a follow on instagram if you're not already and remember separations in the preparation we will catch you on the next one well what do you guys think? Did you learn something? I think that was pretty fun to have Austin on here and kind of get his angle, his perspective on how is he creating such awesome content and the rigors of hauling camera equipment in the mountains, in the backcountry, and trying to capture really good content. I mean, it's it's a super big chore. So Austin, thanks for breaking down those images on Instagram. I will include those links in the show notes. So if you're not able to pull it up, you can quickly click on those and watch those images as he describes them. And hopefully you learn something. I think a lot of people message me daily on, I want to get into the hunting industry. And I'm always telling them, go. Don't tell me about your YouTube channel that you want to start. Start it. And the first thing you need to do is probably invest in some good camera stuff. Um, and if you have a good camera or a decent camera, that's all you need. You can even use a good iPhone and start taking creative content come at it from different angles and understand how to use that camera inside and out that's your challenge so hopefully you guys got something out of that and uh dude austin's a stud i hope we get to work together uh matthews if you're listening take note of that crispy us thanks for bringing uh boots that are badass into my life uh, i'm gonna be using the colorados and the guides for bear here in north idaho pretty wet country uh, i'll probably graduate to 
oh, for some scouting sessions in some steep, nasty country, I'm going to use the brick stalls. And then once I start antelope hunting, I'll be rolling in those new Ativas. Those are the mid GTXs. Uh, check out Crispy. And you can get them at Black Ovis. And uh, we have a discount code. Discount code is ElkShape. That'll take 10% off on BlackOvis.com. Some exclusions apply. Uh, Northwest Retention Systems Gun Spray. Uh, if you need a chest holster and have your bino harness over the top, check out NorthwestRetentions.com. Tim Anderson, he's a buddy of mine. He's even got an elk shape one if you want to rock that. You enter the discount code elk shape, knock 10% off. Shipping and handling and is going to be free. Oh, and a five-day lead time. So that's pretty dope. This guy's out of Washington State, so that's why I'm trying to help him out. And uh, it's my pleasure. So check him out. Elk Collective, the digital elk hunting resource of them all, adding videos weekly um, from all the Elk Shape camps. So if you guys want to learn from multiple resources on elk hunting, not only regionally, but just different tactics, some people sneak in like myself, some people vocalize, some people do challenges. We got the Elk Nut, Chris Rowe, Brian Barney, Ryan Lampers, Dirk Durham, Jason Phelps, John Gabriel, a whole bunch of different styles of elk hunting. Check that out. It's all video driven. Discount code is Elk Shape Podcast, all one word. That takes $25 off. It's an annual membership. And there's so much content there, you can't even watch it all till September. So uh, start learning today. And even if you're a seasoned veteran hunter, you might pick up one tactic that just might help you seal the deal. So check that out. Last but not least, Stowaway Gourmet Freeze-Dried Food. That's awesome in the backcountry. I'm not sponsored. They gave me this discount to add value to the podcast. So go to Stowaway Gourmet. Pick, get the bison, bacon, beer, all that. Yes, into the discount code ELK10, save 10%. Start stocking up now. Don't wait till August when all these freeze-dry companies get hit up and they're like out of inventory and you're scrambling and you're buying Mountain House and you're going to be taking several breaks on the mountain to take care of business. So eat better food. This food is not shipped in. It's made on-site with chefs. That's why I promote it and I think it's awesome. Guys, you got a lot of choices when it comes to podcasts. Hopefully this one continues to educate, inspire, as well as entertain you in your drive or if you're at work or if you're just working out and listen to this or hiking thank you so much tell a friend tell a buddy appreciate your support and separation is in the preparation so we'll catch you on the next one